people are only willing to spend money with you if whatever you're offering, they value more than the money that they'll be giving to you. Welcome closers. Today we have another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast coming at you. This is season two on sales. I'm your host, Jordan Moyla, and every week I interview world-class property management entrepreneurs and industry experts who share actual insights to help you grow your property management empire. So whether you manage a hundred or a thousand units, this broadcast is designed to help you see the big picture and give you the tools and tactics that you need to get to the next level. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Today I'm talking with Michael Fisher, the owner of multiple real property management franchises that manages close to 700 doors. In today's episode, you're going to learn about Michael's approach to content creation, why he's double downed on this strategy, the mindset, the motivation behind that, and how you can use that to generate ROI in your own business. So if you've thought about marketing, content marketing, if you've thought about getting serious about branding, putting yourself out there, sharing your expertise, we're going to talk to somebody that's actually making that commitment and seeing what it's like firsthand. If you enjoy this show, head over to iTunes and leave a review. The more reviews we get and the better the guests we're actually able to have on the show. Let's go ahead and dive in. Welcome to the show, Michael. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So, Mike, we've known each other for um, a number of years now. I wanted to have you on the show for a couple of reasons. I think in large part, it was because I like how you think. You're one of those folks that I kind of think of as embracing the mindset side of the business. Some folks get a little resistant when we talk about things that sound too much like self-help or motivation, etc. But my personal view is that mindset is everything. And I've seen how you've kind of been on a personal journey in that regard for yourself within the business. So I'm excited to talk shop, but give our listeners a little bit of background. How did you get into property management? I was roofing houses and uh, I was on the roof one day and decided to, uh, I, was, I was up there and said, man, I, I just don't want to do this my whole life. And uh, sold the company, moved to uh, Utah, was doing mortgages. I just saw the writing on the wall. I knew that wasn't sustainable. So I was, I was in the process of looking for something uh, sustainable over market fluctuations over a long period of time, up markets, down markets, you know, what, what was sustainable. And I was actually at church. And I was teaching an adult Sunday school class, an adult Bible class, and the founder of Real Property Management uh, approached me and said, hey, I'd like to talk to you. And, and as he talked to me the next day, he told me about property management and that sustainability. I knew that, boy, that, that's the direction I want for, for myself and my family. And I stopped doing mortgages at the very boisterous disapproval of my father-in-law and saying how ridiculous it was and, and things like that. And he went down with the, the mortgage crash ship. Uh, years later, took me out to lunch and was like, man, I am so glad that you made the change that you did. And, and, and so was I. So uh, there was exactly zero real property management franchises when I started. So helped uh, from the ground up. I was the second employee. There was an admin person and myself and just started uh, building the company, got it up to about 80 franchises and, and then decided to start purchasing the franchises myself and never looked back. 
Oh, so you're saying that your path was working with corporate for a while before you jumped in as an actual operator. I did, yeah. If I had to transfer somebody to the legal department, I just transferred them to myself. And then uh, they needed to talk (laughs) to the marketing department. Well, that was me too and franchise sales. And and so it did really two things for me. We spoke just earlier about the mindset. I owe all of that really to Kirk McGarry. He comes from an accounting and software development background. He doesn't come from property management. When we look at things, having been in the industry, it keeps us from looking at things in a different way. And he really did. He looked at things in a different way and, and really changed the industry. And, and now we're seeing some other you know, national, more national uh, uh, management companies pop up and things. And, and really, everybody really elevated their game as a result of some of the things that, that he did. And rightfully so, kind of copied many of the things that, uh, that that he was doing. And that's where that mindset really comes from is being profitable, changing industries, kind of the Apple mindset of challenging the status quo in, in the industry. So how many years did you work with corporate before you became an operator? I was there for about three years. All right. And so then what was the transition like when you actually became an operator? Was it what you thought it would be like? How did that go? Once a franchise uh, began... I did all the training, helped him develop the company. And and so that background really, I knew what to expect. I'd already dealt with many of those problems. I don't think my my wife was as ready for the the late nights. Uh, There was a period of time that that I worked for the corporate office and then then grew the property management and worked in the evenings. That's when I did all the showings and all the customer calls and, and everything until I got it to a number of units that was sustainable for my family. And it, it was hard work, but yeah, definitely worth, worth it. But you know, a lot of people think, oh boy, let's just get into property management and it's residual and it's great. And I had somebody uh, at church actually, again, uh, approach me and say, hey, I'd like to take you out to lunch. And he decided after speaking to me and seeing the freedom that I had with my family and things through business ownership and property management, he decided, hey, I'm going to do the same thing. And went and started a property management company and about a year and a half later stops me and says, I wish I would have taken somebody else out to lunch because this is horrible. And it is, <laughs> you know, it, it, you know, we deal with so many different things, you know, a lot of those things and this, you know, we've, we've talked about this a little bit, our, our transition and focus on multifamily, a lot of that, the problems that we have in property management, they're, they're my fault in, in the way over the years that I think that we've been failing our clients. All right. Well, I want to get into that because I think I know where you're going to take it. But before we do that, just a little bit more context on the business, offices, locations, headcount, just give me some basic parameters so folks can kind of understand what the operation looks like. Yeah, so we're in a number of states. So we're in uh, Salt Lake. I'm originally from Portland, and so that made sense. So have an office uh, there in, in Portland. Uh, have an office in Columbia, South Carolina, expanding to Greenville, South Carolina, and then also Reno, Nevada. So I gotta ask, why be so far spread out? I'm from Texas. I'm recording this in Austin, Texas, right now. If I thought about being multi-market, Austin, Houston, Dallas, San Antonio sounds great because they're all in driving distance. What you did, these couldn't be further apart within the geographic United States. Was that intentional? What's it like managing offices in such disparate areas? And how often do you get out to each physical site? The one thing that we didn't really count on, and I think the easiest example is South Carolina. For all those listeners in the South, especially South Carolina, it, it is a different world. 
it is not the West. That is for sure. We weren't really prepared. And I've heard other franchises. Uh, I remember uh, one franchise in uh, Oklahoma City. Uh, so they're also from Utah, from Salt Lake area, uh, opened a, a franchise in uh, Oklahoma City. And they experienced kind of the same thing. Culturally, Oklahoma is different. The pace is a lot slower. The time it took to close a, a client and the decision process was a lot slower. In uh, Columbia, it, it's a little bit similar. Uh, there's there's two major cultural challenges in, in that environment, and one of them being same. They kind of take a little bit longer to make decisions. It's not uncommon for somebody to get back to you six months, a year later, after you, they just dropped off the face of the earth and said, hey, yeah, I've I already decided you guys and just just getting around to it, you know, and uh, so that's one challenge in that market. And then the other challenge out there is culturally, they just don't like making changes. We, we find so many clients that finally come over to us after just being totally mistreated, taken advantage of, and they just kind of stick with the same thing uh, so much instead of making the changes. And so culturally, we weren't really prepared for that. Uh, out in the Portland area, it's a different culture. They keep Portland weird, as they say, and, and it is. They're doing a great job of doing that. But the government challenges. Our number one competitor is not a property management company. It's not self-managed homeowners. It's the government. And uh, city councils across the country, especially in some of the liberal, uh, more liberal and progressive markets, the city councils are figuring out that they don't need the state legislature, that they have the ability to legislate all on their own. And that's exactly what they're doing. And so they're putting in just all sorts of different regulations to, quote unquote, protect tenants. And, and that's, that's a big challenge. Uh, the distance, however, I would recommend for anyone to extract themselves from whatever property management or whatever market they're in and manage it long distance. It will make you a better business owner, period. It will make you better. You're not there to fix the toilet. And, and so, you know, in property management, oftentimes we have this, hey, if it's going to be done, I'm going to do it uh, type attitude. And they keep themselves from growing as a result of, of how it's structured and the amount they're working in their business instead of on their business so often. And it's so easy to get sucked into that. And so really long, having that long distance, at least in one market, I would recommend to do that, where it will open your mind to how your business really should be run. It's excellent. And great, great people. I mean, we have, we have great people. That, that is critical to be able to do that. You have to be able to trust your people. All right. So I'm, I'm picking up what you're laying down. So the discipline of not being able to default back into that lowest common denominator. Oh, it's it broken. Oh, there's another fire. I'll put it out. I'll pull it out. It, that's a temptation to go back to low wage, low paying activities, right? As a business owner, if you think about the a high low graph, a visualization where you have skills on one side and you have the overall economic value associated with a given activity, we're trying to be in the top right, right? We're trying to be in that sweet spot where we're creating the most value within the business and we can command the highest paycheck as a result. But anytime that we're doing that low level work, it is not possible to build a high growth, high value business doing $10 an hour work. So in so much as we give into that temptation to revert back to doing that kind of work, we're sabotaging ourselves, not being physically present 
is a little bit of a barrier to doing that kind of work. I get it. That said, with four offices in four different states, where are you getting leverage and efficiency? It's interesting to me that you're working within a franchise, which ideally kind of has some back office services. There's some, you're supposed to get some benefits of scale within the context of your little four shop empire. What do you do centrally as opposed to how things get done for each individual office? That's one of the ways that we've broken free from the, the I guess, official franchise system. Um, many property management companies, because of their size, and, and really, I mean, it, it's easier. It does make sense. Work off of what I call the portfolio model, where a property manager manages a portfolio of properties, and they do everything for them. They do the marketing. They do the showings. They do the, you know, the rent, the entering the rents. They post the notices. They do the running around, and they do all that, and they manage, you know, 80 120 properties or so companies are, are still able to have success that the difficulty with that with that that we've discovered and this is the advantage to being a part of a franchise that has over 300 locations is data and information and experiences come back uh, from not only different markets but just from different franchises at different stages really no one in the franchise system knew how to manage most efficiently a thousand properties until uh, one of the franchises out in Colorado did it. And they discovered that, hey, this portfolio model doesn't work. And so the first thing that we did is we departmentalized and everybody comes with a certain set of strengths. Some of them have sales strengths. Some of them have accounting strengths. Some of them, and, and they're happiest in those, those roles. If you have an accountant go and take a sales call, they are not going to be happy for very long. They're going to find somewhere else. So our, our employees stay longer as we kind of departmentalize. And so we, we centralize accounting. We, to a point, have centralized uh, some of our sales uh, where that's, uh, we're able to do you know, all the training here centrally, you know, things like that. And so that's been centralized. There's obviously some people on the ground that you, the leasing department is departmentalized not you obviously have to be you know physically present so so that's not centralized but it's each of those different departments and that allows a property manager to manage two three hundred properties easily and then all you do is you just you just start carving things off you know it might be maintenance coordinating so all of a sudden once you get to a certain level that chunk of work comes off and now they can manage another 100, 150 properties. And then you just keep carving off bits and making a a department out of that. And then now people are specialized, they're trained, they are experts in each of those areas because that's what they do all day long. They are the best person to answer an accounting question because that's what they do all day long. They know every ins and outs of whatever uh, management software you're using and can best serve the customer. So there are so many different takes on um, management structure, whether or not you do a traditional portfolio departmentalization. Most people are saying they're doing a hybrid. The last two guests I talked to told me that they actually do both. They have a subset of their properties that they manage with the departmental structure and another subset of their properties that they manage with the portfolio structure. I had two guests in a row tell me that. Never heard that before. I thought it was pretty interesting. Point is, a lot of different ways to skin a cat, but the things that are tried and true across all of those are service, customer experience. It doesn't matter what structure you have. That's what we're all really optimizing for. So I do want to transition to talking a little bit about some of the content marketing, which does relate to the service experience. Before we talk about 
recording videos and what camera you use, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff that isn't that difficult to figure out once you've made the mental decision that it's actually important. I want to go upstream from that. What does content marketing represent to you? If we talked about content marketing 10 years ago, 20 years ago, the tech and the video wouldn't be there, but the concepts would be the same. On a principle level, why are you attracted to it? What does it represent? And what kind of commitments does it call out of you? And that is absolutely upstream. You know, the, the camera doesn't matter. You can do everything from the iPhone if, if, if you really wanted. It really, I think, comes down to two things, and that's trust and value. In property management, we get somebody on the phone and, and we just want to close them. And sometimes we get frustrated. Wow, they're not, they're not doing this. But we got to understand that these clients are, are turning over what often represents their largest retirement investment. This is a make it or break it thing for them. And they're going to go with the person that they trust. And that brings them the most value. I mean, for crying out loud, we elected an American president based on the fact that people felt that they could have a beer with them. You know, people select the property managers that they use often with that same kind of mentality. And, and they don't necessarily verbalize that or think that. It's just a feeling that they have. You can present an absolute factual case. And this is what we often do in our sales calls, unfortunately. An actual a factual case why you are the best in your market why logically they must go with you and we're throwing up our hands and going, gosh, what, what the heck? Why, why did they choose somebody else? The correct choice was so clear. And it's because they just trusted somebody else more. In the book, uh, They Ask You Answer. That's a great example of, of the need to build trust and that the impact that, that has is you just answer people's questions and as they trust you and, and they, they choose to use you. The other one is, is value. People are only willing to spend money with you if whatever you're offering, they value more than the money that they'll be giving to you. They must see the value that, that you offer. And, and so often we're, we're just saying, hey, use us, use us, use us, rather than, you know, heck, teach them how to manage a rental property. They'll figure out that it's better to go somewhere else. In fact, if you're the one that's been teaching them for so long and helping them to be successful, in their minds, there's no one else that they trust. There's no one else that they value more. There is no other property management company that exists other than the one that helped make them successful. And so when it is time to make that decision, there, there's nobody else gets that call because they already have, you already have the trust. They already see the value. They've already seen the things that you do and taught them to work for them, uh, you know, work for them in, in their lives, you know, and, and that's the difficult thing with content creation and, and doing things like that is it's not an overnight thing. Anything worth doing is worth doing every day. Grant Cardone said that, and I believe that. And you have to be consistent over a long period of time. And all of a sudden, man, that the leads and the people contacting you and just say, hey, just sign me up. They start to come. Yeah, and anything worth doing is also worth doing poorly, which means when you start off, you suck because it's actually a craft. It actually takes time to develop this skill set and the abilities. So talk to me about that. Let's just start there. Talk to me about getting out of your own way and getting comfortable sucking in public, which is what it looks like to record videos of yourself before you're polished. You know, videos 
one through 10, one through 100, whatever it may be, are not going to look anywhere close to video 1000. So did you have some hangups in that regard? And if so, what did you have to do to get out of your own head in that regard? Boy, I, I absolutely I'm I'm the worst. I was the worst. I've known that I've needed to do this for years, years and years. And I've been paralyzed and in just like you said, in my own way, because I wanted it to be perfect. You know, it really took me building a, a studio, a recording studio in my office with lights, with a television. I wish, wish you could see it, television background and green screen if I want it, you know, all that kind of stuff. And the reality is, is that's not even really what builds trust. Gary uh, Vernachek is a great example of that. He, I mean, he built a multi-million dollar business in, in Wine Library. And, and it looks like he's sitting at his kitchen table cursing like a sailor, talking about how this bottle of wine tastes like a dirty sock and this one tastes like this. And people identify with that because that's what they would do. I mean, another, another Gary Vernachek uh, thing is he said, hey, don't, you don't have to create anything, just document. Document, don't create. Oh man, I love that. Don't create, just document. Every single one of us that owns a property management company has, an, has employees come in every single day and ask important questions that should be documented. I have a camera in my office ready to go at any time. Somebody comes in. I don't even know what the question is. Hey, I got a question. Do you have a sec? Yeah, I do. Roll it. Yeah, just press record for me and just record yourself answering these questions. And you know what? Some of them are just going to be horrible. You have a delete button for some of those. Every once in a while, you say something really good. And that's what people need to hear. Heck, you can even introduce the video beforehand. Say, hey, our employees came in, talked to me about this. Just wanted to relate this to you. It's a really important topic about things that you need to know about this. And here we go. And then here's the answer to this question. Just document. A lot of us have uh, morning meetings, uh, maybe weekly office meetings. Just document and record those things, if nothing else, for training purposes. Now you don't have to repeat yourself. So now as we, as we train employees internally and we sit down with them and, and talk with them about their job, what's expected of them, how to do what they do, we just document that. And now, the next time we hire that employee, we don't have to say all that stuff again. We just tell them to press record. Hey, go through this module today. Oh, you've got a question about this? Great. Go through this module. It's a great tool for us. So I think with the concept of packaging or presentation and the gap that always exists between form and function, meaning it's always easy for me to think that I've created this thing, whether it's a piece of software or it's a piece of content, and thinking that functionally this thing is good enough. It does its job as intended if used properly. But the delta is between that and the, the packaging, the presentation, the perception that is created in the mind of the consumer, whoever I'm putting that in the hands of, the perception that they have of it is directly related to their ability to how they experience it and how they experience is how they're going to get value from it. So the things that you just articulated, document, versus creation, etc. I was at a South by Southwest event last night, which is going on here in Austin. I was noticing a couple of VIPs and how they are treated, the handlers that they have, etc. The VIP 
that I noticed could have been a homeless guy that had just had a nice clean shave and a new suit put on. I don't know. Never met the guy. But his body language, the way people were relating to him, created a certain perception that was reality for me as I was seeing what's happening and would have been the reality I would have drawn forward had I had a conversation with that person. In the same way, if there were film crews in your office, whoever you are listening right now, running a property management business, if film crews showed up in your office tomorrow and prospects or clients came by, what do you think they would infer from that? What would they infer from the fact that you had a film crew present? If nothing else, they would infer that there was something interesting happening here, that the overall inference is that something is happening that is worth filming. And in the same way, when you choose to turn that camera on yourself with this whole document versus create mindset, simply by turning the camera on yourself, simply by documenting what's happening, you're creating a certain perception in the mind of the consumer, even if what you have to say isn't necessarily different than what 10 other guys in your market would say if the camera was turned on them. It's really just a matter of who's going to have the wherewithal to actually do it. Once everybody is turning the camera on themselves, then we have a different situation, right? And markets are always getting more efficient. So video is the rage right now because it's the arbitrage opportunity. 10, 20 years from now, video is going to be ubiquitous and then it's going to be something else. It's going to be it's going to be voice. I don't know what it's going to be. But with the opportunity exists right now is just to start because it's not more ubiquitous. I love that document versus create mindset. So talk me through some of the actual practical applications now of where you're doing content marketing? Are you sending video to prospects? Are you using it more for customers, more for employee training? What's the actual practical application that you're most focused on currently? I can't even say what we would are focused on the most. I, I think it's an equal across the board, consistent focus on all of the above because all of the above happens every single day. So I, I break them down just for lack of a better word. I call them brands. I really learned this in the social media world. I have a uh, Instagram thread and it was mostly about mountain biking. Well, I, as almost 40 years old, I decided, you know, I was a wrestler, you know, growing up and through college and I coach and stuff. And I thought it'd be fun to go and compete again. So uh, last Olympic year, I decided to go out and compete at the national tournament and, and stuff like that. And I posted some photos uh, of that stuff. Well, I noticed that my followers just all of a sudden tanked. No one was interested in a wrestling photo. They were following me for one specific purpose, and that was the mountain bike. As soon as something showed up on their on their feed that wasn't consistent with the things that they were interested in, then they dropped off. I have different brands that I have created, um, all me, but just different threads with different subjects. One's about family and how to spend time with your kids. And one's about just doing great things in life. And, and so the same thing with the videos and the content that we, that we create, each of them have different brands and you need to be consistent within that brand. It, it can change, but it just, it, you know, as, as you get better, like you mentioned, but it can't change frequently. You just, hey, I'm going to pick this backdrop and I'm going to roll with it. And I'm going to roll with this backdrop and this brand. Your podcast has a brand. The second you start talking about things that don't help property management companies be profitable, you will find that your listeners drop off. People stop listening because 
they're listening for one reason, and that's the brand that you mm-hmm. created for your podcast. And so each of these videos is, is uh, different. So we have we have one that began, I'm reading tons of things. I'm going to conferences. I just uh, you know, I spent three days with Grant Cardone. I, I went out to the 10X Con and just recently, uh, so the, the three days with Grant and Elena, it was out in Miami, and then just went out with you know, Damon John and, and Ed Milet and all these guys out to 10X Con. Well, I'm learning all these things. I'm pumped. I'm excited. And I come back and I start communicating in a certain way. And I'm, I'm wondering, gosh, why aren't my employees understanding what I'm saying? It's because they don't know. They don't know what I'm saying. When I use a particular word in a particular way, it's based on the experiences that I've had and the things that I've learned. And so one of those brands has just started, started just sending videos to my employees about the things that I'm reading that day. And just short little two-minute videos, and now we can communicate. Well, one day I had somebody come up to me and say, hey, Matt, I'd like to get those videos. And so I started emailing that person, and it started to grow bigger and bigger. Then I said, man, we might as well put this on social media, put it on social media. I don't speak about property management. I don't have a logo behind me. I don't nothing. And we start signing up owners because they're like, man, this has added value to me. What does this guy do anyway? Oh, I've got a property. I've got a friend that has a property. This guy, I trust this guy. I'm getting value from this guy. And I don't say a word about property management. That is what value does. You don't even have to talk about it. If you're adding value to people's life, your business will grow. So that's one. Another one is just speaking specifically to investors. What should you be looking for in a rental property? Where should you be thinking? Where should you get financing? You know, all that kind of stuff. Another one is speaking to people managing their own property. Here, here's how you manage your own property. Uh, another one is employee training videos. Another one is communicating to our clients. One of the biggest ways that we fail as property managers is we fail to properly educate the clients that we have now. You know, we're throwing up our hands and our employees are, you know, yelling down the hall, oh, I hate this owner. They just don't get it. Well, that's your fault. Take responsibility. That's, that's your fault for that failure because you failed to properly educate those clients. Here's a great example. The regulation for water heaters is about to change where water heaters are going to be about $150 more expensive because the government decided, hey, we, we need to get involved in water heaters. So we're going to pass this regulatory requirement to make them have this also. We simply educated our clients, sent out a video, sent out an email saying, hey, if your water heater is, you know, eight years or older, you should really think about replacing it. It's going to go out in the next couple of years. It's going to be at least $150 more expensive in other markets. And like in Portland, it's even more expensive than that. If your water heater is this age, you should really think about uh, replacing it. We can't even keep up. All we did was provide information. That's your job. The client will make the decisions they will make. But if you're not giving them the proper information, if you're just saying, hey, you need to replace your water heater, they're not going to do it. No, is it broken? No, then no, no, I'm not going to do it. But the second we provide information and education, then all of a sudden they do exactly, they start making the decisions that we would make. So if your clients are not making the decisions that you, that you know are in their best interest, you need to take a look at you as a company and not at the client's. The clients that you have are a product of you and your involvement with them and how you educate them and teach them and train them to be successful.
Couldn't agree more. Let's talk about some of the ways that you can influence what you just talked about as a good example that relates to service, adding value, loyalty, brand affinity. Ultimately, that relates to client retention, right? At the end of the day, people leave not because they're upset or because they're angry, but just because of apathy. That tends to be the number one reason people leave. They've stopped feeling anything towards your brand and therefore it's very easy. It's a low bar for somebody else to stimulate feelings of interest or loyalty and poach one of your clients away from you. But if we graduate beyond loyalty, if we graduate beyond retention, there's also the revenue opportunity. How do you think about your interests and the client's interests in owning more than one property? And what are your thoughts on positioning your brand to help provide a journey and a wealth creation experience and kind of acting as a guide in that capacity? Simon Sinek and the book Start With Why really started me on the path to that very thing. You know, Simon Sinek said, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Uh, you are driven to do the things that you do. You love doing the things that you do for a particular reason, and he calls it your why. My why is helping people to accomplish their goals and dreams. For years, we've been asking our clients, hey, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? Oh, you want to keep this property only for five years? And and it changes the way that we manage the property. You know, we may not suggest, in fact, we don't suggest to the client that we know is going to sell the property in the next couple of years. They, they didn't even get that email. About the uh, about the water heaters because it's not in their best interest, but it's totally different for the guy that, that's keeping the property for thirty years and wanting to pay it off. Where where we really failed is is educating our clients as to what they should do. They were telling us what they want to do. It's our job to educate them about what they should do and put them on a path of that. So our realization in, in a way that we failed our clients is we've allowed them to just keep one property. We've allowed them to make the decisions about their real estate investment portfolio, and we were failing to educate them. The reality is, is two different things. Is Number one, your clients who only have one rental property are at the greatest risk for failure. If you look at the problems that you have with clients and their frustrations and they're yelling and screaming that the ones that leave, I will bet that most of them only have one rental property. And the reason why is they're, they're at the greatest risk when you know, they don't have other properties or other sources of revenue to, to be able to handle when the furnace goes out or, or things like that. They're the greatest risk for failure. So that's number one the way that we have failed is we've allowed so many of our clients to have one rental property and then just let them stay there without educating them and telling them why they need to own multiple and then putting them on a plan and a path to do that. Now, all of a sudden, the problems that start coming up are in a totally different context. They have a totally different mindset. No one purchases a rental property just to have one rental property. Well, they may, but it's the mindset behind the, the purchase that we need to understand, and that is freedom freedom and early retirement and wealth creation and all these things they they go and they sell their wives on the fa- oh we're we're going to we got to buy this get this rental property and we're going to be wealthy and they they saw something on late night television and and they bought some program or they you know something like that they had some friend that's doing it all of them are in it for one reason and that's freedom and wealth creation but then they stop at one 
And they stop at one because nobody's telling them that they need to buy more. And more importantly, no one's putting them on a path to do that. And that's, and that's my fault. And so it's a change in communication from the very start. Imagine talking to potential clients and saying, you have one house? Well, let me tell you, that's not enough. My job is to create wealth and freedom for you and your family. All right. So everybody would love to own lots of real estate, but to actually get there, what you're talking about is stimulating the thought, stimulating the aspiration or the interest. But then what about the mechanics This is where I think that a lot of times it breaks down because for any property management company that knows that they manage on average around 1.4, 1.5 properties per owner, they'd love to see that number go up. I guess really the first step is when somebody actually expresses that they want to buy, helping them do it. The next step is actually stimulating interest, stimulating the awareness of the opportunity to purchase. But the step beyond that is actually having some mechanics in place to grease the skids and to facilitate the process, whether that looks like putting inventory in front of them, deal syndication, a million different flavors of what that could look like. But what are your thoughts on going forward where the opportunities around are around actually making it easier for them to walk through that process? that's part of our content creation. So one of our brands is interviews with experts. And, and so we just bring in experts, bring in real estate agents, we bring in title companies, we bring in mortgage companies, commercial lending, uh, you know, plumbers, electricians, you know, all these types of things, you know, to help educate the clients. And, and they're doing the educating. They're the experts in those things. I'm the expert in property management. I'm not the expert in finding the, the right rental property. I can tell you what, what you're going to be looking for, but, but as far as me going out and pounding the pavement and finding it, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I, don't, I don't have the time. I had to come to the realization that there's a lot of other people that know a lot more about it than me. They're experts in those things, and my job is to connect those individuals. So m- much of that, although the introductions and the initial plan and, and things like that, as far as much of the education, as far as the, the contacting of the client and the implementation of the plan, you just have to have a good team in place. And not necessarily team as in those employed directly by you, but uh, experts that you rely on. You need a, a pool of the greatest real estate investment real estate agents that are in your market. They need to be talking to your clients. And that's incredibly important. It's, you know, I've just turned it over to them. So let's talk about a little bit about one example, deal syndication, for example. We talked a little bit about multifamily recently in a separate conversation. How do you think about the opportunity that exists for existing owners to invest incremental dollars into additional real estate in the easiest way possible? Because the truth is people are looking for a return, looking for ROI and whether or not they're buying pork bellies or multifamily units or student housing That is the ultimate goal. Now, there are some inherent advantages to owning real estate, but even that said, you can own real estate in a million different ways through having uh, actually owning the home outright, through using different forms of debt leverage, through uh, a REIT, all different ways to do it. How do you think about what really are, are some of the potential opportunities that could be put in front of existing clients to make it easier for them to take incremental steps towards this vision as opposed to having to 
get over a huge barrier and a huge hurdle to make any form of progress at all? I think that's a difficult question to answer. The incremental part, incremental in the fact that, that we have to understand that when push comes to shove, single family property, single family investment real estate is a bad long-term investment. We're all familiar with the concept of return on investment, the more money that you have tied up in that property. So so those of your clients who are planning on paying off that $300,000 home and then reaping the benefits of the monthly rent, they have a lot of money tied up in that. And so to be able to leverage that into, into multiple properties. But the reason I say that is, A, it has the least opportunity for the greatest return on investment, number one. Number two, in the single-family real estate market versus multifamily, we see a, a, a huge difference in that single-family rents constantly fluctuate with the market, and they go up and they go down. We saw this uh, after the mortgage crash where, where rents in, in the single-family uh, area kind of plummeted because there were so many coming on the market. Now we're seeing them you know, increase, and I'm sure at some point we'll see them decrease, but they're constantly going up and down. In the multifamily market, that is not the case. And it, it's because the value of that property is not doesn't have much to do with the real estate that it's sitting on as it does to do with the monthly cash flow that that creates. And so for that reason, multifamily property owners would rather see a property sit vacant because the second you start advertising a lower price, then everybody else in that apartment complex is, is paying, you're going to have a line out the door of people saying, hey, I, I want to rent decrease. You know, I, I want to move into this property. And so for that reason, they don't do it. So rents in the multifamily market, they might stabilize and not go anywhere for a year or two. But generally speaking, they only go up. And the last one, and probably most important, especially in the volatile climate that we live in, a stroke of a pen from the U.S. government, the increase in interest rates, the, you know, all of these different types of things can absolutely decimate your client's ability to get their money out of a single-family real estate investment. They have $300,000, let's say, tied up in, or let's say a million dollars tied up in single-family real estate. They're following the plan. They're buying single-family homes. They're doing all this stuff. And, and, it is 100, their ability to get their money out is 100% dependent on the owner occupied market, not the, the, the cash flow real estate investment market. You know, real estate investors could be buying up homes, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to buy your home. It, it is almost 100% dependent on, on the owner occupied market. If people aren't buying, then you can't get your money out. If lenders aren't lending, if interest rates go up to where it doesn't make sense, you've got to continue to decrease that price until finally somebody's willing to pay. But if no one's buying, you're not getting your money out. In the multifamily market, it's completely different. And it's completely different because lenders will always lend on multifamily, period, because they treat it totally different. It is an asset. It is a income source. It really is a liability on the single family home side. It's a it's a huge risk for them. On the on the multifamily side, much less of a risk. They are way more apt to uh, lend on that uh, versus versus single family. In some cases, someone could be denied for a single family rental property investment 
and then go on the commercial side to buy a multifamily and be approved. Why? Because the lender counts all of the income that that asset is creating. It's it's treated entirely different. Next thing about that is not only will lenders always lend, but there will always be a buyer. Someone is always looking to buy multifamily property regardless of what the market's doing because they're not buying it for the value of the property. They're buying it for the income that property produces. So your ability to get your money out of that investment if needed is much, much greater and less risky. So we, do, we just tell our clients, hey, single family is a great short-term investment. But you need to get in single family and and start buying up properties to produce the cash, to produce the equity, and to get started and to get into multifamily as quickly as possible. Maybe even liquidate those properties, take the equity out, put it in the multifamily, make a plan, start applying for for uh, commercial loans. See what most people they've never talked to a commercial lender. They don't even know if they would get approved or what it, it's our job to connect them with the, the commercial lenders today so they know what needs to happen. They know where they need to get with their single family home investments. Yeah, I need to get this amount of equity, whether it's paying down the principal or whether it's uh, the, the property increasing in, you know, in appreciation. I need to get this amount of cash that I can pull out of these properties to be able to invest or whatever that their personal situation is. So I'm hearing what you're laying down, but I don't know how much easier we've made it for the average owner that has one single family property right now and wants to participate. Are they supposed to? Because at the end of the day, I'm thinking about buying one more single family property or a 20 unit uh, apartment complex. The 20 unit apartment complex isn't, isn't necessarily going to be any easier to buy than one more single family home, even if you say it is objectively better. So do you have any thoughts on creative structures, syndication, owning a piece of, of the asset? Have you thought about ways to both get them into that asset class while also lowering the bar for entry? Absolutely. And we're seeing this through uh, you know, Grant Cardone, perfect example of that, Cardone Capital. You've got to have millions of dollars to be able to invest in that. You know, each of us have the ability to start real estate investment funds and to do it that way where, where people can get into multifamily and, and start receiving, you know, monthly cash flow on a multifamily on a much more safe investment and be able to get in, into that with a lot smaller uh, initial investment and dollar amount. So through real estate investment funds, that's a, that's a great way. But the number one thing is, most of our clients just don't know what they need to do. They want to fulfill their dreams. They want to fulfill their goals. They want to have freedom. Oftentimes, they'll be able to figure it out in their own situation a lot better and faster than I'll be able to figure it out because I don't have all the information that they do. Uh, they could be thinking in the back of their mind, hey, I, I, I want to start a business. Well, that, that's never come up. I, that's I'm not that's not the path I'm thinking for that client, uh, but they might be thinking that, gosh, if I create a business and I, I create this amount of more money, then I'll be able to do this this much faster. They'll solve their own problems. My job is to educate them, give them the information so then they can decide for themselves how to best implement that information. The next thing is, is I need to connect them with the right people. Most of our clients aren't connected with the commercial lenders. They have no idea what they do need to do or the path that they do need to get to. There's a lot of our clients that would be in a good situation to buy a multifamily property today 
and they just they're not thinking it because they think oh wow yeah a mil- million dollars i don't have that kind of money and they'd be mistaken in in, in some cases and so they just connect them they'll fill in the blanks so to start the conversation more awareness work with other subject matter experts all of that makes sense to me. I would just go back to packaging. You could do each of those things incrementally, or you could do so in such a way where it's tied together and it's branded and it's presented as a more complete experience. And I'm going to be like a dog on a bone going forward on this topic. I see more and more clearly the opportunity that exists for property managers to first get clear about who they are, what they're about, to verbally articulate that via content, podcast, audio, video, whatever you're into. That's just like step one is to get clear on your values and communicate well in a client-facing manner. The step beyond that is to actually help pull people through this journey and to go from fixing broken toilets and basically making sure nothing bad happens. It's called property management for a reason. There's not a lot of excitement implied or associated with the nature of the good or service by virtue, at least in part, because of its very name. We want to transition from that to wealth creation through real estate. I'm going to teach you to be rich. And if that sounds obnoxious to you, then restate it however you like it. But the bottom line is people get into real estate to be able to grow their overall asset to achieve whatever life goals they have. So beyond just the positioning and the branding, what is the most structurally concrete and specific way that you could help your clients begin that process and sustain and grow and scale through that process of growing their real estate empire. Whether that looks like what Michael just mentioned and tying all those different pieces together in a way that feels complete and like it's actually, it's a real bona fide program or whether or not that looks like leading deal syndication yourself and getting known for having deal volume and putting those in front of your client. Starting off with just doing pocket listings from when your own clients say that they're selling their existing inventory and putting that in front of your other clients. You know, Starting from there to graduating to where you're actually facilitating the transactions. Are there hangups? Are there legal liabilities? Are there problems and things that could go wrong? Yeah, absolutely. All I know is that the future of this industry is going to be around the companies that are starting off branding, starting off communicating, and then graduating to really improving the service level, which has to transcend and has to be more than simply just maintaining the asset. If we're really going to be the trusted advisor, the steward, the person that gets paid money for thinking great thoughts At the end of the day, that's what an advisor and a counselor is. If you have any aspiration of being that kind of a person, there's going to need to be proof and there's going to need to be infrastructure that has to be put in place. I'll get off my high horse on that point. Michael, I know that you see part of the vision there and I want to see what that looks like for you long term to flesh it out. I do want to transition now to move on to the rapid fire section of the interview. I just want to get some guttural answers from you on a series of questions. And the first one is this. What impact has your wrestling background had on your business career? Oh, geez. Once you've wrestled, everything else in life is a lot easier. I tell you what. When things start getting tough, at least I'm not at practice. At least I'm not cutting weight. Uh, for my last competition, I had to lose uh, 18 pounds in 48 hours. 
Wow. And that was horrible. Right. And so uh, once you've done that, everything's a lot easier. Everybody has a different idea of what hard work is after you've wrestled your idea and thought process about what working hard is, is completely different for the rest of your life. And, and then in a, in a transitional thing, I, that's really where I discovered the fact that I love helping people, especially the youth and helping to impact their lives. Wrestling is just a vehicle and coaching. is just a vehicle that I use to impact the lives of youth and change them forever. It's not about wrestling. If we, if I focus on wrestling, I've already failed and making them good wrestlers. And so the focus on a coaching level is making them great people on the property management side. If I focus on just property management, I've failed. Property management is just the vehicle that I've chosen to impact the lives of other people, to make them better, to help them be free, to help them retire early. That's the vehicle I use to impact the lives of of families. I love it. I see a common thread amongst the ultra successful, not the pretty successful, but the ultra successful. There's a lot of common threads, no doubt, but one that I've observed is that when put on the spot and asked to distill it all down to one success principle, I've seen a number of folks, I'm thinking Richard Branson, I'm thinking Tim Ferriss, I've seen them articulate exercising and physical fitness, which is so interesting to me. It's so easy to relate to that fitness discipline as a nice to have, an attaboy, pat yourself on the back sort of thing. But it keeps coming up for me as being something that the ultra successful commit to no matter what. And with a, a very unclear ROI, other than they just know it's a part of the, the commitment engine that keeps them on track. So I love that answer. Next question for you is what advice do you have on business partnerships? Well, business partnerships is like a marriage and divorces are nasty. If I have one piece of advice for business partnerships, if they have to happen, in many cases that they do, you have to make sure that you have a similar why, that you are driven for the same reason. Uh, the same thing in marriage. I mean, I told my son the same thing, man, when you go to get married, there can be a lot of differences between you. But the one thing that must be consistent in all partnerships, marriage or business partnerships, it has to be your desire to accomplish the same general why. If I were to pick a business partner, they could have lots of different skills, but if they are not truly committed and driven to help people accomplish what they're wanting to accomplish and help them be the best version of themselves – that partnership will not work out. We will never be able to communicate. And, and I, I would say that that is the number one thing. Mm, I love it. Yeah. Got to have the same why I've experienced it myself. And there's misalignment on that. A lot of pain can, can come from it. It's worth doing the due diligence on the front side. Who do you learn from? Everyone. But it's the greatest realization I've had in my entire life is the fact that everyone knows something that I don't. That my employees, if, you, if you're not listening to your employees, they are, they are the greatest source for, for changes in, in your business. If you're not changing, if you're not constantly learning, you're missing the things that absolutely need to happen in your, in your business to be able to be sustainable over a long period of time. You know, the, the industries are being Uberized every single day. 
decimated at uh, the 10X Con. Uh, Grant Cardone's brother, uh, Gary, said something really interesting. He said, we are going to go through in the next five to seven years an economic shift like we have never, ever experienced in the history of the world. When half of all retailers are going to be going out of business, like brick and mortar retailers, there's going to be some problems. And as a property management company, you need to have your finger on the pulse of, of that. Super, super important. But as far as who I learn from, boy, I read a, at least a, a book a week, at least. And I don't think that's even enough. Uh, constantly asking questions. Everyone's an expert at something. Find out what they're an expert in and learn from them. What's the best book you've read in the last 12 months? Uh, uh, be Obsessed or Be Average, hands down, by far. All right. Another Cardone production. Common theme. Yeah, I see your uh, shout out to, to Grant. He's getting a lot of love on this episode. If you could do it all over again, you could go back to the beginning of your career when you first became an operator. What's the number one piece of advice that you would just like with the all, full intensity of your being try and speak into the life of Michael Fisher at that point in time? Work on your business instead of in your business. It stunted my growth for years and years and years, really with the thinking that if it is to be done right, I'm to do it. And, and it was the, really the realization that, gosh, I don't care what I'm even the best at. I, I, I think I'm, my greatest skill is sales, but there's somebody out there way better than me. My job as a business owner, I have a duty and responsibility to find that person employ them and put them in the right to put them in the right position and and move on to something else final question of the day i ask this to every guest and i want to know for you michael fisher do you believe that entrepreneurs are born or bred they are i think a product of both really and the whole nature versus nurture argument i would say if i had to choose one they would be bred I think a great example is uh, what, what I call the first instance. Many people don't even believe that certain things are possible. And if they do believe that they're possible, I mean, they're seeing you know, other people accomplish these things. They, they don't believe that they're possible for them. And not to get religious on everybody, but hopefully, you know, everybody can at least relate to the story. You have, you have Jesus and he's walking out on the water and you have the disciples and they're out on the boat and, you know, they say, Hey, who, who are you? And he said, well, it's, Hey, it's Jesus. And, and Peter, he says, hey, if, if it's really you, then tell me to walk out on the water. What he's really saying is, is, well, I believe that this is impossible. And really, and if it's really you, I believe that I can do it. If you tell me I can do it. If you tell me I can do it, and it's and it's you then then, then I'll be able to I'll be able to do that. And sure enough, he says, All right, hey, come out on the water, come, come take, take, take a walk. And he steps out on the water, and he walks, walks on water, right? From a principle standpoint, you know, some people just need to be told that it's possible for them. You know, when you see something in someone and tell them what you see, the potential that they have, you will become one of only three or four individuals in their entire life that see them that way. And they will love you forever. 
we each have a, a responsibility to constantly tell people what we see in them and their potential. And, and I think that's one of the greatest things and, and reasons why I would say that great entrepreneurs are read because because so many people have the ability, they have the skills, they're born with all the skills. And I think everybody's born with all the skills to be a great entrepreneur. Man, going, going to 10XCon, it really introduced me to the fact that, man, these guys are nothing special. They're multi-millionaires, billionaires. Man, they're just like me. They're just like me. And, and then that, that, that's totally true. They just acted on some of those things. Somebody in their life told them that they could do it. And they believed them. You know, once people are told that, that has to happen first. They have to believe that it's not only just possible and possible for them, but have that grow into the fact that, man, this is probable. This, this is going to happen for me because I'm just as good as that guy. And he doesn't have anything really special. I'll just duplicate what that guy's doing and I'll, and I'll do it. And, and I think that's the great thing about the, the world that we live in today. All you got to do is YouTube it and you'll be an mm. expert at something and everybody can be a, a millionaire. Man, that's the beauty of living in this country, isn't it? All Everything you just said has some hard limits when you're growing up in Soviet Russia or in communist China. But in this country, if you believe it, you can achieve it, man. It's, it's mind-blowing. Uh, what you said really resonated with me. That was very much my life experience in terms of just making some basic assumptions that I could achieve what was modeled for me in certain areas. And that was a huge enabling factor in my life. Never got a handout, but having some role models that were successful and said, hey, you know, you should do this too. It's downhill skiing compared to being told that you're nothing and you ain't going to make it and having the opposite of success modeled for you. So I think that's probably one of the better answers that I have heard in the red category. And I think that's as succinct as we're going to hear in terms of what can be said in favor of the nurture bread side of the equation. I personally think there's a born component as well that specifically relates to embracing and learning to enjoy long-term suffering. But there's definitely a mix of the two in there. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on the show. I'm wishing you success. For folks that want to follow what you're up to, see a little bit more about the content marketing that you're putting out, what's the best place for them to go? You know, if you just want a good example of general content that really has nothing to do with your industry, just something that you're passionate about that will produce business for you. No one, there's nothing on there about real property management. People, the message resonated and they sought out, gosh, what does this guy do? You check out Instagram and Dream Driven Life. Dream Driven Life on Instagram. Go check it out. Mike, thanks again for coming on the show. We're going to follow what you're up to on Instagram. And I just want to reiterate that I love where you're coming from. I think mindset is the differentiating factor. I appreciate you modeling that within your business. Stay in touch. Hey, thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Profitable Property Management Podcast. Please subscribe and leave us a review. Your feedback makes this a better show, and the more reviews we get, the better our guests become. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget that you can find us online in the Profitable Property Management Facebook group, where we mastermind with the best in the industry.